there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girl's night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. As a lifelong cinephile, I've learned so much doing this podcast. Before recordings, Quentin would sometimes pull my father and I aside and say, hey, I want to read you guys something I've written. One of these times, which always stuck with me, was when we sat on his back patio on a nice spring afternoon as he read to us pages all about Jonathan Demme, his start with Roger Corman, and his relationship with Joe Viola. Sitting there, my dad and I listened as Quentin read in that smooth voice of his subjects that he had researched and become an expert on. Every now and then, Quentin would pause and flip through the pages omitting certain things, rearranging paragraphs, or smiling and saying, just a few more pages, guys, knowing full well that Roger and I eat this kind of thing up. Now, you don't need me to be the one to tell you how great Quentin Tarantino is and how you should go and buy his book, Cinema Speculation, which hits shelves today. But what I am here to tell you is that he gave me a great and special gift that day because I went home and I watched the hot box, Angels as Hard as They Come, and Caged Heat. And through his words, I had a better time understanding these movies for what they truly are. When I read Cinema Speculation, I can hear it through Quentin's voice as if he was sitting me down and telling me, Gala, this is a bit of film history that you should know, because these are the stories that need to be remembered. So, crack open the spine, sit back, relax, and let the magic happen. Let Quentin speak to you through his own personal voice, and listen, because what he's telling you will shape how you see cinema. Cinema Speculation, a book by Quentin Tarantino, hits shelves today, November 1st, 2022. Pick up your copy wherever books are sold. On last episode of the Video Archives podcast, we wrapped up part two of American Giallo with one of Eli Roth's favorite films, Alice Sweet Alice. The murder of the dad is the best scene in the movie, but it's not fun to watch, but it's the best scene in the movie. 
and invited you all to a Video Archives birthday party with Happy Birthday to Me. Yeah, I feel like I've been freebasing in the corner of your kitchen for I literally feel the need to smoke a blunt, all right, to counteract the birthday cake. Right. And now we bring you the after show, your backstage pass to exclusive content, answers to your burning questions, and even more film discussion. I'm your girl in a yellow raincoat, Gala Avery. Here's a call back to After Show Episode 4. When Quentin and Roger sat down to discuss Dirty Hands with me, we had a debate all about version originale. You may remember us talking about Evil Eye, also known as The Girl Who Knew Too Much, which is my favorite Mario Baba film. All of us agreed that you have to watch the English language version. In this next segment, Quentin elaborates on the reason why. Uh, the opening especially is really terrific. Uh, but um, it's got that whole gag sequence. Is, is that well, in both? Well, the, where, well, where he trips through the many wires that she Well, he does up? that. Well, that's in both versions. But what the Evil Eye has in the American version that's neat, that's not in the Italian version, is the uh, movie starts with a gal on the airplane. And then the camera's kind of moving from passenger to oh, passenger. Right, you and you hear yeah. their thoughts. Mm-hmm. Then it gets to our hero. And she's talking about committing a murder. And you're like, whoa, what the fuck's going on here? And then it's revealed that she's reading a paperback. Yeah. <laughs> then it's revealed she's reading a job. Yeah, that's a, that's a great gag. <laughs> yeah. It's a great gag. And it's not in the Italian version. Yeah. It's only in the American version. In past episodes, we've talked about filmmakers who fall into the get it done category. When watching Alice Sweet Alice, it was possible that Alfred Soule was one of these guys. Okay, so now- Actually, I, I just have a real quick sure. question. Uh-huh. Um, you frequently talk about um, the get it done guys. Yeah. And one in particular, and I can't remember who it was, you describe as a get it done guy. Oh, RG, uh, always, Archie Springsteen. Always had the same amount of time as everybody else, yeah, yeah. but it was what he did with that time. Yeah, how he used it. And I'm looking at this movie and I'm thinking, maybe he's one of those guys who it's what he did with that time as opposed to having more time. Look, that might very well be the case, and actually knowing how much a dollar goes, that probably is the case. The quality of the film belies something else. The quality of the film belies two extra weeks. He doesn't seem like he's just trying to get it done. There is an exquisite quality to the film that doesn't seem like a rush job. That is just part and parcel to making an, a low budget horror film. He just yeah. he just picks like the church he picks, the way the apartment looks. I mean, it's exquisitely done. I just think it elevates it from those other movies, and it doesn't feel like an American horror film of that period. It really, but then at the same time, the it also feels so American because it feels yeah. so New Jersey. Yeah, it's true. Don't fucking think of it shot in Tenafly. On last episode of the After Show, we heard about Eli Roth bringing his reanimator tape to a house party. But the cool Eli Roth party stories don't stop there. Here's another one I wish I had been invited to, his bar mitzvah. Eli tells us the story about how he received his favorite tape he ever owned from his best friend at this party. I remember for my bar mitzvah, Jeff Randell, for my bar mitzvah, bought me Mother's Day. Okay, that's a special and tape. And he went to every the, the video The one person store. who knows you truly. He got me, well, I remember being at the temple, walking out, and he handed me my gift but when you're like supposed to get gifts later, I'm like, surrounded by a temple. And I opened it and it was a box that said, I couldn't find, I couldn't find something to get you. So I made you something myself and you opened it up and it was a fake shit. <laughs> and there was $40 in cash. And then underneath it was a fucking thing. And I unwrapped it and it was Mother's Day. And I was like, where did you find it? And basically his mom had called every single video wow. store in Boston and it cost like 50 or 60 bucks. Wow. Media with like the slip case mother's day. And I just remember like the silver reflective tape on it. And it was like the Holy grail because we still hadn't seen it yet. 
Did you guys so, watch it together? We watched it at my bar mitzvah. <laughs> like at the night. bar mitzvah that He night. told me he played it before. He's like, I watched it. It's amazing. So at the bar mitzvah, I remember, you know, because I wasn't friends with any girls, as you might have <laughs> guessed. I'm your reanimator. I was sorry. a fat fuck. Um, I, you know, I remember they're like, this is Roth. Your son's not a large. He's a husky, which is like <laughs> nice way of saying fat Jew boy. So we had a party that night where we had a bunch of pizzas I rented arcade machines, so we had like Dragon Slayer and Cubert. There was what? A, my brother did that. My brother <laughs> for his bar mitzvah in '83 got. They had like track and field, Miss Pac-Man, Cubert, and we found a company that would rent, drive them to your house, plug them in, and pick them up on Monday. So we had video game machines, and I remember like playing Cubert, and then we wow. went downstairs, and I had cousins from you know Scarsdale that were traumatized. They should have made T-shirts that said "I survived Eli Roth's bar mitzvah." <laughs> but on Monday, I want that parents, on a T-shirt. That's I actually want a good T-shirt. T-shirt. Parents, I survived Eli Roth's bar mitzvah. The parents I came down, like the grandparents, and there's like forty kids in the basement going crazy during, you know, the decapitations and the fucking, <laughs> the insanity of that movie. There's like a fucking brutal rape scene where the grandma's cheering it on and he's taking Polaroids and then the guy gets the ax and the balls and like the parents were like, miss, like what? And I just remember eating pizza and being like, I'm a man now. <laughs> like this is what it means to be a man. And it's so funny that like actually as an adult, I do look around and I'm like, yeah, I'm basically doing the same thing. I'm just like eating pizza, watching horror movies, thinking about different ways to kill people in a movie. It's so weird how you're like, I was one of those kids. Some people find themselves, but I was exactly who I was at 12, 13. I was like, this is it. I got it. We're good. This is forever. Everyone has a favorite way to watch movies. Some of us like to watch movies on dates. Some of us like to go to an empty theater matinee, while others enjoy a midnight double feature. You may even be the kind of person that marathons movies all day, every day. Or maybe you've never even seen a movie in your life. If that last one's true, then thanks for sticking with me this long. If you're like me, you might even watch coffee with a cup of coffee. I had to reveal my secret to Eli, namely what I consider to be the perfect condition to watch his movies. Now, I have to tell you a little secret. Whenever I watch one of your movies, Eli, I always watch it at 10 a.m. I don't know why, but like that's okay. the that's it's, like it's, the best time to watch Eli. It's weirdly true. Never we, we, we went back over all the films and started thinking about it. It's like, because we watch movies all, all the time. Yeah, it, yeah. No, but like when I, I sit down watching watch an Eli Roth movie, I don't know why, but 10 a.m. is like the prime time for me to watch one of your movies. I have no clue why, but I'm like... Oh, I feel like watching Hostel this morning. Okay, it's 9.30. Okay, I'll give it like 30 minutes. I'll sit down, I'll eat some breakfast, and I'll watch Hostel. I love that. Great way to start your day. Okay, I know I'm a total weirdo, but 10 a.m. really is the perfect time to watch an Eli Roth movie. It's probably because I'm a major scaredy cat, so it gives me all day to process the terrifying imagery that I see on screen, allowing me to enjoy the movie without any nightmares. On the subject of Eli's movies, I made a mistake when talking to Eli about Cabin Fever, which led to the very interesting backstory behind the scary story that they tell around the campfire in the film. But yeah, I have to just tell you, I love your cameo in Cabin Fever, specifically as the bald guy. That's my brother. That's your brother? That's That's your brother? Roger, I I was actually actually in the kitchen. I was like, Everyone thought it was me. But that's a true story. That was like, we were, that was based on Sammy White's Brighton Bowl. 
where we would like go bowling every set. We loved candlepin bowling because you know we used to refer as bowling as big ball bowling, but candlepin is a Massachusetts <laughs> thing. We didn't know there was other kinds of bowling. We would watch candlepins for cash on television. Wow! And then go bowl candlepin bowling. That's wow. into Canada. There was a very very seventies Massachusetts thing to do. So there was an arcade, and you was like. They had ashtrays back then. So your dad was like, don't go back there and play the Gorf machine. You're going to get stabbed. <laughs> and there was a bald guy that used to give us shoes. And then one year, my dad's like, I have some sad news. And he's like, you know what? And he's like, well, it's, you know, they closed down Sammy White's. Because Sammy had played for the Boston Red Sox. We're like, what happened to Sammy White's? And apparently a disgruntled employee who had been fired came back and like tied up the employees and like beat them to death with a ball, <laughs> ball peen hammer. And then, of course... And apparently he's in Walpole State Prison and it like comes up for parole and they make him show his tattoo and he tattooed bowling pins with everyone's names on it, the people he murdered. Wow. And so all That's we were like obsessed That's like a movie with, plot. Well, that that, we would crazy. Talk about, well, we would sit there and we'd be like, what about the bald guy? Did he get the bald guy? Like, I don't know. And then our joke was that, did he bowl the bald guy's head? Oh, God. And it came up in the ball return. Well, I, I love your brother then as the bald guy. That was guy. Adam because he was most obsessed with the bald guy. You know, as a kid, you're obsessed with bald guys, <laughs> like fat people. It's something that's like different. You're like, look, there's a fat guy. You're like, okay, you're seven. You're like, oh, yeah. he's bald. You know, you you're- don't know. The genre of giallo can be overwhelming to dip your toes into. Many people will immediately reach for Dario Argento, or some like me might tell you to watch a few Mario Bava movies, as he was my introduction to giallo. But, of course, we have Quentin, Roger, and Eli giving us the hookup for some underappreciated giallo directors that you should check out. Yeah, and the big and the biggest yeah, and the biggest directors were Sergio Martino, Lucio Fulci, <laughs> yeah, Antonio Margheriti. Yeah, he knew that many actually, frankly. Yeah, Seven either. Deaths in the Cat's Eye. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, it's it was Sergio Martino, Umberto Lenzi, Lenzi uh, and uh, 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 Joe Landa, and then there were people like. And Julia Quest. There were people that did kind of one-offs of them, but those. But those some of those one-offs ones. are pretty good. Like, uh, 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 yeah, Duccio what, Tessari did "Death Occurred Last Night." Luciano Ercole. Well, two of, two of the best ones I think are the one-offs are "Black Belly of the Tarantula." Yeah, with uh, Giancarlo Giannini. Yeah, and uh, uh, "My Dear Killer." Right? Oh when, yeah, "My Dear Killer" is fantastic. It's. I and, mean, "My and, Dear Killer." And by the way, Luigi Cozzi's "The Killer Must Kill Again." Yeah, George yeah, Hilton's yeah. another great. Now, 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 the thing about it, "My Dear Killer" is so good. I wish George Hilton. I wish they did three more movies with George Hilton playing that same cop, investigating murder. I, I think it's his best performance. I love, I love his his cop character in that. Video stores in small towns were different than in the big city, but you were still able to find those mom and pop shops. Eli tells us about Kim's Video his go-to video store when he was in college in the Big Apple. When I went to New York City in 1990 to film school and you suddenly get to Kim's Video and Alan's Alley and they have all the Dutch Verhoeven's film and Kim's Video had freaked, like all these really weird movies. And that and that was what was awesome is you found a great video store that really stocked the shelves, right? And what Kim was, was Kim was a grocer, he was a Korean guy, and he started renting videotapes, but there were NYU film students that worked in a supermarket. So the film students oh my God. picked. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show. 
available wherever you get your podcasts. The movies. So imagine an entire video store programmed by like film nerds in film school in the kind of mid 80s. And suddenly Kim's video is the only place that you're renting and everyone that works there is an aspiring director or filmmaker and expert on anything. So nothing there was mainstream and everything there was like super fucking obscure and they would track down really weird bootleg copies of very strange films. It was like that became your education. Yeah, because they're also trying to like stock the shelves with what they want to watch because the people that work there are like, I can't find this, but I want to watch this. So I'm going to stock it so I can rent it. Before we continue on with even more American Giallo, I wanted to take a second and thank you guys for sending me messages about what kind of merch you'd like to see in our store. I've passed these suggestions on to Quentin and Roger, and I'm happy to say that today we have new merch dropping. We've listened to your request and stocked our store with official hoodies, water bottles, girls' tees, shot glasses, pop sockets, and more. Head over to podswag.com to check out our latest merch drop. The link to our store can also be found at our website, videoarchivespodcast.com. Be sure to tag us in any pictures of you and your merch for a chance to be featured in an upcoming CounterTalk newsletter. And never be afraid to reach out and tell me what kind of merch you'd love to see in our shop, because I might just be able to make it happen. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the show. If you've been here for a while, you guys know that we don't always talk about all of the films that we watch. But what about the movies that we consider putting into the lineup that we don't end up watching? Happy Birthday to Me was not in our original lineup. What movie did it replace? Ed Bianchi's 1981 film, The Fan. Quentin, Roger, and Eli reveal to us why they ended up replacing this movie. And that's another thing I I wanted to bring up is the fact that um, before we, uh, was it before we got into Eyes Eyes of Laura Marshall? No, it was after. after? We put on The Fan to include The Fan in this episode. Uh, The Lauren Bacall and Michael Bean, uh, The Fan. And we started watching it, and the tape uh, had some tracking issues, and we weren't and really and able, wouldn't fix out, yeah. And we couldn't really fix it out, and so we kind of ditched it and abandoned it. Mm-hmm. But I saw enough of the fan that I was like, "Well, this is another New York movie. Here we're in New York oh, again. No, it, is, is New York?" And I suddenly this became a question to me: Is New York the Rome? Oh, it is. Uh, oh, it, oh, it, oh, of American is. Not a, there's not even a question. Yeah. The answer to the question is uh, yes. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, a rhetorical question. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the, and that, it was interesting. It's too bad the, the our, our our tape for the fan didn't work um, because it's the one – it was one of the ones I hadn't seen and I wanted to include it not knowing would it actually qualify Same. as a Jallo. However, it does have a symbiotic relationship to both Eyes of Laura Mars and Dress to Kill, uh, to this idea of high society New York going on. And they, actually, they all felt like cut from the same cloth. And is and in particular, uh, well, one, Angie Dickinson, Lauren Bacall, and uh, Faye Dunaway could have switched characters at any point in mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and they were probably all vying for those yeah. same roles. And uh, But also even just the idea <laughs> that Lauren Bacall's character from what looks like at the beginning uh, might might as well be a sequel to the Eyes of Lower Bars. It's about this famous New York celebrity and her entourage yeah. who are all going to obviously start being knocked off. I mean, they have the same bedroom. Yeah, they're yeah, like yeah. in the silk pajamas yeah. and they're like mirrored. 
bedroom with the carpet. Yeah, that, but I do, that ultimate bedroom of anybody their assi- their in 1978. Their assistant is their best friend. Yeah, <laughs> but it's 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 like the fan from what we saw was like a fake, almost like a starts like a jalo with a close up of the fetish of the mm, yeah, right. Yeah. You know this like they they had that snorkel yeah. lens they're going crazy with uh, like yeah that, that lens had just come out and been getting getting heavy use by Ellen Parker and in the someone wall. in a desk in a dark room. But they say in the credits in Michael Bean as the fan. So you're like, mm-hmm. well, we're not guessing. No, no, no. Yeah. That's one of the we know who that, the killer is, and it's a suspense. That's what makes it a suspense movie. Yeah, it's that, not no, a true Jalo. No, that's one of the things that the, the, the put it a question mark. I was going to see if other elements outweighed that that made that not so important. But yeah. we we not we don't know. Well, yeah, I would love to include the fan at some point because I'd love to finish watching the movie. I would like to finish watching that movie too. Uh, I agree. I do like thinking about it now that you had these classy New York sort of Jallo and Jallo esque films that were that were made in the late seventies, mm-hmm. and then the Italians are like, well, "Why don't we just go to New York?" And you have what I call, <laughs> you know, like the Times Square sleazy Jallos, oh, like Romano Scavolino's Nightmares in a Damaged Brain and Lucio yeah, Fulci's New York Ripper. Ripper yeah, uh-huh. And then, of course, you have Bill Lustig's like, well, why don't we just do one where it's just Maniac and it's <laughs> the entire time. Not only do we guess, we never leave him the entire mm-hmm. movie. Uh-huh. We'll just cut the plot, the cop subplot. So it's it's really uh it's it's like these films are like the classy version, mm-hmm. and then there's like the underbelly in 1980. Like, well, then the we, Italians get into it, and then, then they, it's New York fucking Ripper. Then it's yeah. New York Ripper. <laughs> then it's like all bets are off, and it's the most offensive sleazy. You just want to take a shower watching those films. They're amazing. I actually watched um, Eyes of Laura Mars as a double feature with um, the fan. So mm. I will lend you my tape, Quentin. Oh, great. So you Excellent. guys can watch it. Um, it's a Paramount Home videotape. So hopefully it's better than my Alice Sweet Alice tape, which yeah. is. No, me and Roger will literally uh, we'll put it on uh, the next couple episodes. I think yeah. Paramount has a better reputation with uh, video cassettes than, than, uh, than Alpha. Alpha Blue. Yeah. <laughs> Alpha Blue. <laughs> it's like a character in Crimes of Passion. Actually, it's a porno <laughs> company that usually releases PO, uh, public domain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I had a really fun time watching it. I will say, though, I think I liked the fan more mm-hmm. when I watched them side by side. But after hearing Eli's description of what American Giallo is, I, I kind of agree. I don't know if the fan constitutes as American Giallo. No, it's a suspense thriller. Yeah. Suspense. You've seen but it like before? I said, it does seem symbiotically connected to Dress to Kill and Eyes of yes. Laura Mars. Yes. And also uh, not to give anything away in the fan, but there is a huge use of the straight razor and splitting your kill, uh, your victims up the middle and oh. uh, rape with a uh, straight razor. Months later, I'm still thinking about the fan. Not only am I excited for Roger and Quentin to watch the movie, but I also sourced the novel by Bob Randall and cannot wait to compare the original source material with the film. There was one other movie Quentin considered putting into our lineup, and this one I didn't watch. Listen up as Eli tries to convince Quentin to watch Alfred Soule's Pandemonium. But that was also I was like I've I've never seen Pandemonium. I, I actually that's I one of the, that's one of the ones I pulled for us to watch. Oh, I, I, love I, I I've never seen it. I, I've held off seeing it because I I just suspect that I'm not, not going to think it's funny. Well, if you don't like student bodies, well, I don't like student bodies. I is love it, student bodies. Is it better? Than, is it funnier than student bodies? It's well, student bodies is Mickey Rose humor, and this is Alfred Soule humor. I mean, it's like got Paul Rubens. It's got a bigger. Oh more, no, I know the whole. I know the. It's cast. got a bigger cast of characters. It's pa- Pandemonium 
is like student bodies, but mixed with Cannonball Run. It's mm. got like a crazy Smothers Brothers. Like yeah, yeah. every time you cut to someone, it's a famous comedian. Carol you Kane. Like. It's yeah, like yeah. someone funny that you like. It's got the big young judge, young judge Reinhold. I mean, there's like <laughs> human, you know, again, happy birthday to me, like shish kebab jokes. Like the deaths are very fun and over the top. Uh-huh. Well, no, it was meant it was meant to be the airplane of slasher movies. It is. Yeah. And, and it's got the kind of gag, 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 gag. Whereas... Student Bodies is much more sophomoric and slapsticky and feels more like a slasher film. The Video Archives podcast is never complete without Roger or I discussing a crazy theory about one of the films we're watching. I had my theory about the relationship between the priest and the mother in Alice Sweet Alice, but I also had a theory about Happy Birthday to me. And to my surprise, Quentin didn't think it was so outlandish. But you know what, actually, and this might be giving too much away, so you can cut this if you want, but... The fact that he comes over after she believes that she's killed the woman in the bathtub Mm -hmm. and then he pulls back the curtain and no one's there. At first, I thought, is he like assisting her in the murders? Mm -hmm. Like, is he cleaning up after her? Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about it. Well, well, well. Well, that is the methodology of the movie that everybody is made to look to be a suspect at some point. And it almost even it almost even like backs up why they would end up having such a close relationship. That if she is the actual killer, then maybe he is cleaning up for her. Yeah. Our awards show is so jam packed with discussion and debate over who should win what category. One of the most contested categories of this lineup was best villain. Eli brought up an amazing point about how you have to judge a Giallo film. To be fair, now that Roger said this, Dress to Kill was the movie we watched so many times, we thought we didn't even need to see it again. Yeah. So the one thing about horror movies is that they're always, or jowls, they're always going to lose their potency a little bit, like mm-hmm. a little cologne. You know, the haunted house is never as scary the second time through, and you mm-hmm. appreciate it for other things. I do think in this case of that villain and that twist, you have to judge it by the first time you saw it, mm-hmm. because Alice Sweet Alice is a film we've seen less, and it's really enjoyable, and yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. over the top. And we saw it after Just the Kill, but I do think you can't discount like what we a reaction was the first time we saw that movie and yeah. why we keep coming back to and it. And I only so. wish I had seen Alice Sweet Ellis on its yeah. Uh, yeah. on its release really or when I, or when I was younger so that I could judge it on the same. How can field? I like Michael Caine as best actor, but like mm-hmm. the killer in Alice Sweet Alice more? It's because maybe mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I mean, what, I mean, my more surprised. The number one thing about Dress to Kill, I mean, like if the one thing that separates it from being a Jallo, it's better than any Jallo. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's elevated beyond it. It's elevated, like, drastically beyond that genre, it's even though its, it fits it's in inside its of it. Class. It's in its own weight class. Well said. But nothing good lasts forever. It's always a sad day hearing about when the video store closes. Eli Roth shares his memory of the demise of his local store and how his love shifted to Laserdiscs. Do you remember, like, when your video stores closed? Mm. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, like, tragic, you know? The thing is, it didn't close... When I was there, it's like somebody saying the library is being closed down. It's yeah, like a weird it didn't make sense of, because like, uh, look, Blockbuster came in, which we hated. We hated Blockbuster because suddenly that drove a lot of the business because no one was going to Entertainment Incorporated. So next time you drive by there, it's a Chinese restaurant or the place the cleaners next door is expanded. And you know, I remember saying like Video Smith is having it going out of business. Like they're they're closing. The location, we're like, whoa. But also by that point, I was so into laser discs. And there was one laser disc store rental place in Boston that that's where I was going to kind of upgrade it to laser discs. Mm-hmm. And after years of VHS tapes where you could get like audio commentaries and 
but you know, I had a whole surround and sound the system. The instant quality. access, like instant ju- jumping access, to a scene like, was a big deal. I, I wasn't nostalgic for VHS. Yeah. I was like, I could tape my laser discs so I'd have like a perfect letterbox copy of Aliens. After talking with Roger about video archives closing, which you guys will hear in an upcoming after show, it seems like this is a universal experience. The local kids move away, Blockbuster moves in, and when you return home, your town has changed. It's not a video store, but I remember when the local movie theater in the town I grew up in shut down. Of course, I had already moved away, but when I returned and learned that my town no longer had a movie theater, it felt like the day that the dream died. Sure, the quality of the projection was never good. The seats were hard and uncomfortable, the popcorn was day old, and there was always a crying baby in the theater. But that was my movie theater. Over a decade later, the building still stands empty, a ghost of good memories that I have. The kids in town will never have the experience I had of going out in the 100-degree summer heat, escaping into the poorly air-conditioned theater, and sitting down to watch the same movie you've already seen, since they only play one the entire month. This must be how people feel about their video stores closing, wondering if the future generations would have any sort of communal experience. I'm getting a little misty-eyed just thinking about it. Next up, one of my favorite moments during our award show deliberation. Roger was on the fence about who the best supporting actor was, and when he finally settled on his choice, the group erupted into quotes from the movie. Okay, Roger. Uh, did you not already say yours, or did you say well, half of them? Well, no, I, yeah, I was yeah, kind yeah. of standing on the fence a little by saying mm-hmm. Keith Gordon as yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And character, then, yeah, as best character, and then I was going with Rene Auberjonois. Oh, you are. As, so you're going with Rene Auberjonois? Oh, I'm sorry, I said Dennis France. I was vacillating between the two, but I, I went with Dennis France. <laughs> uh, you are going. You're, no, well, now you're doing it, so you're officially going in with town, Dennis France. Downtown and in this office, <laughs> <laughs> you tell Ted from out of town to come in downtown. That, in town. In town. Downtown, downtown. <laughs> sign out a statement that wh- who and what he blow saw by blow. Yeah, and it's I just like every line is said sarcastically. Oh, oh, you're very, oh, you're in danger. We got a very, we got a cell for you. Okay, be very safe. Yeah, <laughs> Charlie, can we get her? Yeah, <laughs> I'm booking you tomorrow. Yeah, I, and I just love that in his first scene, he's like all serpicoed out in some kind of like patent leather jacket thing, and then in like the next one, he's got like a sweater shirt on or something. Yeah. Like his his off hours. Uh, He's got he's got this relaxed outfit. He's got this he's got the Italian New York scumbag tan leather jacket. Yeah, and, and yeah. then he's got his like casual Friday sweater shirt thing that he wears. The softer like, side. Yeah. <laughs> now, we've learned all about the criteria for American Giallo. So here's a pop quiz for everyone out there in podcast land. During our taping, Quentin hypothesized about a certain film and if it would fit the bill of an American Giallo. Let's listen to his reasoning and see if we agree. Now, the only other thing that has been kind of labeled uh, a slasher that I think could double as a Jallo, and look, and there's been other slashers that definitely have a mystery element. You don't know who the killer is in Graduation Day. They want to make you think at one point that it's Christopher George, and they want you think at one point it's the weird greenskeeper played by Robert Silverman. So they so they play that game and that, and they play that game in uh, uh, The Prowler too, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. And their reveal is kind of Jallo esque, even though I don't think that movie is a Jallo. But now again, this goes against my idea that the killer for an American Jallo needs to be unknown. But tell me what you think about this. The other movie that I think crosses the line where it could be a Jallo more than a slasher, even though we know who the killer is from the beginning, is Visiting Hours. Oh. Mm. 
that has an Italian kind of feel, the, the brutality of the murders, the brutality of the killer himself. That killer, it's not a slasher film killer. It's the killer, it's along the lines of the Edgar Wallace killer in uh, Stage Fright. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. I haven't seen it in a long time either. I would either. love to rewatch that's it. What, no, that's one that I, I would love I to really rewatch. I would love to rewatch it in that light. Because certain with that, movies... With that idea. Well, it'd be fun to rewatch anyway, but with that idea in with mind. With that idea. Because yeah. there's certain, you know, there are movies that really have strong Jallo elements that I watch them now and go, whoa, we're cruising and clute. Yeah, 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 yeah. In yeah. the style, and the but, you know, ultimately they're detective stories and different, you know. Yeah. Um, but they have like very strong Jallo, like, this could have been a Jallo, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I need to rewatch Visiting Hours to really. Yeah, put I, th- it through I, that I need to watch it again to see if it holds up with my hypotheses. All right, yeah. but uh, uh, but it's one I think that's worth investigating with that in mind. That one that would be a fun one to watch anyway. Again, but now there's even a reason to watch it. What do you guys think? After all that we've learned, is Visiting Hours an American Jallo? To wrap up today's episode, Eli tells one of my favorite stories about my dad when they met for the first time at the Sieges Film Festival. Now, do you remember the first time you met Roger? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was with Lucky McKee, and we were in the the lobby at the Melia Grand Hotel in Sitges. And me and Lucky sort of knew each other from the Austin, because we've been around with May and Cabin Fever. We're kind of playing the festival circuit, and... We came down together and we we're like, holy shit, it's, it's fucking Roger Avery's. There was Rules of Attraction. It was so cool. And and, and like, and, and like he was like, oh my God, Killing Zoe. We were totally nerding out. We had such a great time. As Harry was sitting there. Yeah, Harry Knowles. Roger was, yeah. As Harry Knowles, Roger, Lucky, me. And then we we had such a great, I remember we saw 800 Ballas. I met Alex De La Glacia yeah. that time. Del Toro was there with Blade 2 yeah, like doing Guillermo. a talk. Like yeah. it was Guillermo. Uh, Alex, Roger, it was one of the greatest. That was the most, I was like, because it, it was my first festival after the Toronto Film Festival where I had sold Cabin Fever. Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner <laughs> was there, of course. <laughs> Vin Diesel with Triple X, Rob Cohen. Um, and, you know, I was like, oh, there's a whole world of genre. And and Quentin said the best advice. Quentin was, and this was sort of, this was before that, but Quentin also said, he's like, I don't make movies for America, I make movies for the world. Planet Earth is my is my audience. And, you have the ability. He goes, you are what horror has been needing. You are the face. He goes, horror has been needing a guy like you that can come and be the new face of the genre, that knows it, that loves it, that respects the elders, that can talk it inside out, make it exciting again, but also sell yourself around the world so that you have the value. The movie can be sold on your name. Then you can self-finance. Then you can finance just on what That's your territories are. I was That's like, yeah, it's it's brilliant advice. Yeah. So go to New Zealand, go to Australia, go to, go everywhere, make yourself a sensation in the press by talking about movies, their own critics. And don't say know. outlandish things like uh, your favorite Australian yeah, film. Yeah, exactly. Is, is, Crocodile Dundee too. Yeah. No, 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 they had it. <laughs> I remember, no, Yahoo Serious. Yeah, Yahoo Serious. Young, young Einstein. Mine's starstruck, so it's my favorite Australian. So yeah, that was great. We had a great time, but that and that festival just became a blur of of all of us hanging out through the last night, and you know, me going to see Rules of Attraction in this beautiful twelve hundred seat theater, listening to the Donovan music. It was so great to see the movie that way. And then I remember like, it was the opening weekend. I was like, <laughs> this story, the next I love I was this like, story. How'd you do? You go with a big smile. You go, we came in 12th. <laughs> it's hard to do that. But I go, what? He goes, yeah, 12th. Yeah. I go, what? He goes, yeah, I don't have to tell you. I remember they put popsicle heads on the video. On the, the producer who was there that, that day just, sneered at me and said you're not the golden boy anymore and like walked wow. away and I, I it was like whoa dude <laughs> it's a great movie <laughs> brett ratner was doing his intro to red dragon 
And Brett is very enthusiastic. And he didn't realize he had to like take a pause for, you know, for the translator. So the translator is just like accumulating. He and just accumulating. leaned up on the podium. And he got in the mic and he just started talking and talking. And he's going on and on. And then the girls, are, and they're like, Brett, Brett, Brett. He's like, no, no, I got some more. I got and, and then they're like, we have to translate. So the poor girl then gets up and the whole theater's laughing. And then afterwards, there's this beautiful party at this palace. And I remember Roger was imitating Brett's. Speech standing over the balcony at this tower going, Peasants of Seatus, Peasants of Seatus, I am here to entertain you. I have brought entertainment to your humdrum average lives, you simple fishermen. I have brought you Ray Fines and Harvey Keitel and thrills and spectacles. It was like, and we were, I was with David Slade. We were, we were crying, laughing at Roger, just, just like throwing up his arms going peasants. And he just somehow, it was like his, like absurd parody of Brett's speech that was just the whole night was so ridiculous. I mean, it was so uh, fun. It was, a, but that was the film festival. And it was just like paella and absinthe and movies and nerding out and then going out to the bars till six in the morning. Then you go to Pacha at four. It's like your, it's your adult wakeover. It's like basically oh, it doing your sleepover, was, but just as an like, adult. Why I always say that making movies, I was at summer camp and like overnight camp kid and the camp counselor. I would say making movies, the closest replication to overnight camp. Yeah, I agree Because you have to be together for eight weeks. You have like meals together. Can't go home. Can't go home. <laughs> and you have to do activities and some days you don't want to do it, but most of the time it's really fun. And at the end of it, you're all like, this is so amazing. You're We're all going to be best friends. We'll all talk every day. And then <laughs> no one fucking speaks to each other until you see them like two years next summer. And you're like, next summer. you pick up right where you left off. Exactly. And that's our show. Next episode, join us for something a little different. Quentin and Roger are devoting an entire episode to a single film. Want to know ahead of time what we're watching? Here's a clue to get you started. The movie in question dramatizes a famous murder that was committed in the year 1980. I've got a party to get to, a very special birthday party. My name is Gala Avery, signing out for today. See you next time on the Video Archives After Show. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, 
every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 